Imagine if we can get an inside recording with Jesus' conversation with God the Father. Find out more on this episode of Inverse. Welcome everyone to Inverse. This quarter, this 13-week section on the study on unity has been very profitable so far. We are on the third uh, week here and we are looking at John chapter 17. So if you're watching out there, if you're listening out there, you want to open up to John 17, you want to open your apps or whatever you got. And this is a special chapter and we're going to have a word of prayer and Siku, if you can pray for us and we'll get started. For sure. Loving Father, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. We thank you that not only are we praying for ourselves, but we know that Jesus prayed for us. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide our conversation. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, let's go to John chapter 17. We can read verses 20 and 21. And Sebastian, can you read those for us? I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Israel, can you uh, kind of give a description on this chapter? Like, why are we studying it? And what's so special about John chapter 17? It's kind of self-enclosed yeah. by itself. Yeah, well, actually, in starting with John chapter 14, you could, if you look through the red letter edition, you just see Jesus red letter is, edition. Okay. he's talking, talking, talking. There's a lot, this is dense, you know, Jesus, Jesus conversation. Talk. Yeah, mm -hmm. Jesus talk. And it finally climaxes in chapter 17 where Jesus is now talking with God. Mm. And so it's a conversation that Jesus is having with God. He's going from conversations with his disciples, conversations with the multitudes, and now it's him and God. And so you, you have this intimate recording uh -huh. of the prayer life of Jesus with God the Father. And he's praying for himself, he's praying for his disciples, uh -huh. and he's praying for you and for me, future believers. Uh -huh. Well, actually, let's read the, read the prayer there. Siku, can you start from verse 1 of chapter 17 and read from 1 to 5? Okay. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Okay, in some ways, this is a prayer that we should mimic. This is Jesus talking to the Father. We have much to learn. And in other ways, this is Jesus talking to Father. This is an intimate conversation, and in some ways, we can't pray like this. I so mean, compare and contrast, yeah. like what's going on here, Sebastian? How well, can we learn and how can we not learn? Well, I think the first thing we, we find is that as Jesus addresses the Father, there's kind of this this sort of insight you're getting into the history of their relationship coming mm -hmm. into this conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like Jesus is asking for things in the present, but he's referencing past realities. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, Father, the hour has come. It's like 
this is the time. Mm-hmm. It's like Jesus has been waiting for this moment. Mm-hmm. And it's as if he knew that God was waiting for that moment. And also throughout the book of John, we see that Jesus is always saying the hour has not, not come. The hour is not yet. That's the, right. This isn't the time. This isn't the time. Mm-hmm. And finally, for the first time in the narrative of John, we're like Jesus saying, the hour has come. That's right. And the question is, what's that hour? Well, I think he, he's driving for this glorification, which is obviously specifically in the context is for the cross, yes. right, of how he's going to glorify God. But right. it's interesting that before the cross, he says in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. Hmm. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Mm-hmm. So you're like, wait, before the cross, Jesus is like, I finished it. I've glorified you on the earth mm-hmm. already. And this is the context of his prayer in verse 1 which is glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. So you could think Jesus is a megalomaniac, right? Like glorify me, lift me up. Like I've humbled myself long enough. I've walked the dusty roads of Galilee and I've healed the sick and been, you know, persecuted and people been misunderstanding my motives and my disciples don't get it. Glorify me. Mm -hmm. But Christ is not asking for this for his own glorification. He's saying that I may glorify you. And in fact, I've already done it for you. Mm-hmm. I've already glorified you on the earth. I finished what you asked me to do. But what what is glory? Is glory? I mean, I'm just thinking in this, you know, a World Cup scenario, like <laughs> glory, like ah, these right. guys running around, you know, tearing their jerseys out, running around a stadium, and then you, that's not what <laughs> Jesus is talking about. And then there's also other glory where no. like, you just think of like, oh, glory coming down, that's right, the halo over like, the head, and, and that's not really what what Israel. What is glory? What's going on there? More than identifying or defining what glory does, it talks, or, or defining what glory is, sorry, it talks about what glory does. Mm. And so you have in the beginning, it says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. That's the context, right? The, the glory, glorifying the son. And then it says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. And so the glory of God is found is displayed in its ability to give eternal life to a lost humanity. Mm -hmm. And so that is the glory of God. You know, the glory of God is his ability to take something that's worthless, to take something that's not worth saving, and to, like Sebastian said in previous times, the humility of God in investing himself, who he is, perfection, in some something or someone that has absolutely no deserving to receive, is not deserving of of receiving this thing. Mm. And so I think that's what the glory of God is, Mm -hmm. the manifestation of divinity and humanity, of perfection and imperfection, of unity with human and the divine. Mm -hmm. And this is what he is talking about. And so he continues on. He's saying, look, glorify me so that I can glorify you. Somehow, some way, this glorying is connected to eternal life. And then he says, now... How is this glory, how is this eternal life manifested? It's manifested in knowing God. Mm. And so it's like the idea or the concept of connecting yourself with God is essential to eternal life. And it's not only essential, but it's an essential privilege. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Mm. dude, you have the privilege of knowing God. And, you know, this is eternal life that that... they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that is interesting. In verse 3, this is eternal life. See, I thought eternal life was just living forever, but Jesus is adding, like, a lot more dimension here. Right. I mean, you, if you think about it, living can be tedious, can be painful, can be uh, uh, unpleasant, right? Mm. And Jesus, in his ministry, he said that I came that they might have life, and have it more abundantly. So not just the fact of breathing, but 
being alive and having meaning and purpose to your life, right? Mm. And in verse 3 where he says, this is life. This is, this is the, the core, the essence of what it means to really live, mm. is to know God, is to have a relationship with Him. I mean, anatomically speaking, I guess we could say if God is the author of life and all life flows from him, then if you're not connected with the source of life, then you can't live. Mm. Um, but I think even qualitatively speaking, mm -hmm. uh, even if you were breathing, you're yeah. not really living. You know, yeah. so you have if people... you don't know God. Right, if you don't That's know right. God. So you have people ending their lives who have wealth, who have fame, who have yes. all these things that people crave for because right. there's no purpose there's no sense of meaning yeah. in their life and Jesus is saying this is life eternal and I would even God. I would even build on that you know going back to the question about what does it mean to glorify and etc you're dealing with the fact of this sense of not only praise but also the sense of revelation that he has revealed you know the father on the earth right which was the work apparently that God had sent him to do and now he's asking in verse 5 glorify me together with yourself reveal me mm -hmm. together show who i truly am and my true nature with yourself with the glory which i had with you before the world was mm -hmm. so there's this this thing that jesus is like i gave up this glory i've come down to glorify you to make you known to people mm -hmm. so that other people could know god which is eternal life and now i'm asking hey now glorify me Mm -hmm. Right, which in essence is still circular so that I can glorify you mm -hmm. and reveal the fact that I am divine. This is really a, a shadow of the, the, the Trinitarian relationship, yes. God-had relationship. I love that cycle that you just described. It's, yeah. It just goes on. And, and that, that's beautiful to the unity. Yeah, It's mysterious in nature, you yeah, know. It's it so complex. And it that's is. what I love about John. It's like the complexity in which he expresses stuff, it just like blows your mind It's so away. simple, yet so like yeah, out of this yeah. ununderstandable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's what, as Sigu was talking about, uh, John chapter 17, the qualitative, you know, experience of life, Jesus talks about, you know, the, 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 the experience of life in, in terms of connecting, right? And John chapter 15 is like, look, you can't do anything. You can't have physical life without me. Mm -hmm. And in John chapter 17, I was like, you can't have real life without me either. Mm -hmm. And so you find here in in a knowledge of God, in an exper experiential knowledge of God, you have real life, you have true life. And the glory of God is manifested, according to this passage, the glory of God, the glory of God is manifested in that we partake of God's glory because as we know Him, we become more like Him. You know, and that, it, this is crazy because what you just said just kind of blew my mind in the fact that Eternal life is not just knowing God, but knowing the revelation of God. Mm. So it's like knowing God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent mm. to reveal himself. Mm -hmm. So it's like you need to not only know God, but also know the revelation of himself through Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, that's just profound because Jesus is what God is wanting you to become. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can know God, but if you don't know the revelation of God, which is what you were created to do, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just like completely taking my brain to like a whole other level. There's also the additional uh, component here in verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you. This word for know, there's limitations in English because, you know, how many of you know 
Uh, yeah. uh, what? No Michael Jackson. Okay. I mean, you know, do you know Michael Jackson? Mm-hmm. Nah. No, he's no, 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 but you, you do know him. Yeah. Like, are you familiar with him? You know of, of him. him. Yeah. Right. But do you know him? Like, right. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know him. Yeah. And like, I think in other languages, the Germanic languages, the Latin-based languages, there are two verbs for the word know, mm-hmm. uh, to be familiar with, and also to know knowledge. And I think in English, there's only one, that, that, yeah. that, that, that I, that I, the one I, the language that I speak. Uh, it, <laughs> We often mix that and say, I mean, eternal life, to know. well, I know Jesus. I'm pretty familiar with him. I know that he exists. Mm-hmm. I know that he came on, and that's okay, but he's not talking about that kind of know right. here. That's right. This is an intimate, one-on-one relational encounter that's living and vibrant, mm-hmm. and this is to continue forever. And this makes me think, I, I, just, I love what you said, um, makes me think that we are, we have, a lot of us are living, but a lot of us don't have life. That's right. We're just right. going from one day to another. Mm-hmm. And here, Jesus is promising eternal life, not in the future, but right wow. now. Yeah, right now. profound. Right yeah, let's go to, any, any other comments before we move on to the next section? I wanna, um, this is a very profoundly dense. Well, I think there's, there's also the fact that God has this eternal knowledge to be known. So if, if eternal life is to know God, then it, it would take eternity to know him. Sure. I mean, that, that's just crazy to think that I have to have eternal life in order to actually experience eternal life. Yeah. Because that's knowing you, and that I mean, would take eternity. And just think about eternity is also another long concept, and uh, it's going to take a little bit more time, so we'll take a break, and we'll, afterwards we'll, we'll contemplate on, on eternity. Hey, welcome back. We are talking about John chapter 17. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's... Um, <laughs> yeah. We're contemplating eternal things here, and sometimes we need some, some timeless contemplation on, on, on these things. You know, one thing that, that, that I've been thinking about in, um, in, 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 in counseling young people and young adults, sometimes they're like, well, what's the whole point of eternal life? Hmm. And they say, like, if, if eternal life is going to heaven, and then we're going to be there for eternity, after a certain period, it's going to be boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And they say, like, you know, under imaginations, I, I always imagine heaven to be like, kind of like a Disney world, you know, and you have, like, Old Testament land and, you know, New Testament, you know, swimming park and, you know, yeah. the Reformation, <laughs> you know, roller coasters and whatnot. And, like, this is like heaven and you can talk to Nebuchadnezzar and, and you know, talk to David. And you meet all the Bible characters and you meet all the people that you you knew and the resurrected people. But after a thousand, after a million, after... Google years, you've done all the rides, you've, you've talked the ear off of Nebuchadnezzar, and he's, he's going to walk away from you. And, and like you've, you've done, I mean, at, at a certain point, it's going to become boring. Mm. Yeah, but I guess um, thinking about relationships, you know, when you're with that person that you, you love with all your heart, you could be talking for hours and hours, and it feels like it was just two minutes. Yeah. Right? And mm. time, time becomes... It's almost like time seems to to fade away. Mm. You know, when you are when you are having an interaction with someone that you are in a close relationship mm-hmm. with, and I think that's that's why heaven requires the intimacy of a relationship. And and imagine if we have that kind of love relationship with God, and yeah. then we go to heaven, and it's not just God, but it's our fellow man, and then yeah. like all these beings, like and and mm. got to talk to the angels, and there's so much love that. I dare, I dare say, and, and I know what you're getting at, and you, you're stealing my thunder here, that even relationship with other human beings mm-hmm. have, 
their limitations yeah. in the sense because they're finite beings. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, lo- and, and I'm going to steal your thunder now. That that <laughs> that love with an eternal being is mm-hmm. the only thing that can make eternal life worth it. And right. think about or, the yeah. profundity of love. The f- gives the time meaning. Right. And think about the profundity of the fact that you have an eternal revealing being with an eternally consuming being. Hmm. It's like the human mind, like Ecclesiastes says, the eye is never satisfied with seeing. And I remember my wife was telling me in a neuroscience class that the, the professor was saying the eye is designed to take in more light than it will ever see in its entire lifetime. Hmm. It's like you just have to process that. Like this organ is designed to take in way more light than you're ever going to ever see mm-hmm. and find. So it's like, could it be that you, your, even your eyes were designed to behold God, mm-hmm. like to see him face to face, right? To produce this ebullient amount of light that your eyes were designed to see, you're never going to find it in this world. Mm-hmm. Like some of these insights, you just got to just yeah. gotta like pause in silence. You it's know? holy ground. It's yeah. a holy ground. And, and you know, b- back to the human finite relationships, you know, you, you've, you get to a point, I've been married almost for 14 years, and I'm always learning new things about my wife, but you get to the point where there is an element of predictability. Mm-hmm. She knows after 14 years, I'm going to forget the birthdays. I'm not, no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to bring the flowers when she needs that, when she wants it. She knows there's a predictability. Now, the thing about God is that there is enough foundational truth about God. Like, for example, we know that God is love. We know that God is always love. We know that God is never not love. He cannot lie. Yeah. These are foundational things that make God predictable in the sense that not predictable, but dependable. But, secure. Yeah, secure. Mm-hmm. But there's always an underestimate of the love of God. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that God is eternal, not only, not, only, not only will we be thinking like, oh, God is love, and I, and I love that God is love, and man, we're experiencing infinite love. It, there's also the element of day after day after day, it's like, I thought I knew you, but I really don't know you like I underestimated your love mm-hmm. yesterday and I and 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 newer revelations mm-hmm. of who God is continues. And so this knowledge of who God is experientially is what causes personal transformation. That's what mm-hmm. he's saying. This is eternal life that they might know you because the more we know God and the more we know that we don't know God, the more we want to be like mm-hmm. God. And Man. this is the foundation of unity. Mm-hmm. The, the foundation of unity is that we say... It stems from here. Yeah, yeah I, I do not want to be me. I want to be you. And this allows me then to say, I want to surrender who I am, mm-hmm. what I am, what I think, what I want to be, to be like you. Mm-hmm. And this is the foundation. And I love this, that, that this eternal life starts now. This is yeah. not something in the future. This is not yes. when we go to heaven. This is not when Jesus comes. It starts now. You know, it's, it's... Now, uh, we also have to go to another passage now. And I know we can talk a lot about stuff. But this is such a... This is, this is just uh, calorie-dense material here. Yes. Let's go to uh, verse 6. Verse 6. And uh, Braxton, can you read 6 onwards until we get tired of your voice? Verse 6. Sure. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Okay, as we'll pick up from verse 12, this is chapter 17 of John. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That was a long passage, and uh, this is Jesus in uh, communion, in, in conversation with the Father, and I just felt a little bit, you know, I don't want to interrupt. We, we got to read, and in our day and age, we get, we get uh, ADD'd out for, for long passages. But, okay, from this, from this uh, passage, 6 through 19, what are some things we can glean from there, Israel? A cool observation that, that has impacted me yes. for the first time is, it seems to me that, that John somehow had access to the prayer of Jesus, and the prayer of Christ is representative of the style in which John writes. Mm. You know, like, you know, I'm not praying that they're in the world. I'm not in the world. I'm, don't get them out of the world. The whole repetition of how he expresses thought. And, it, and I you wonder... Think Jesus was, was written in the language of John or John's language was so yeah. changed by Jesus? And so his yes. language, I mean, I, who knows? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm wondering. Mm. I was like, dude, I wonder if, you know, Jesus is in the image of John or if John... You know, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, mm -hmm. that John so connected with Christ that he actually reflected Christ even mm -hmm. in his writing style. Mm -hmm. You know, so anyway, something to find so out. It's a hermeneutic question yeah. that we can talk about in, a, in another, <laughs> another, uh, another section. Yeah. Um, other other gleanings, uh, Sebastian. Well, I think, you know, for me, the, the idea of I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world shows the fact that Christ in taking that communal revelation of the Trinity and like I've glorified your name and this is the eternal life that they may know you, mm. right? But I know you. So essentially Christ is saying that he knows him. And so the onus of the fact that if I know God, there's an onus and con continual flow of that to go out to reveal him to other people, mm -hmm. right? So it's like if you come to know God and you have eternal life, there's this automatic connection of the sharing element that, well, Christ doesn't just say, well, I knew you and you know I've glorified you on the earth. He says, no, I've manifested your name to them, mm -hmm. you know, to these men that you've given to me. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and, and think about the way that Jesus talks about this mission, I would call it, you know, this mm -hmm. mission to manifest God's glory, to manifest who God is, um, that Jesus and, and God, the Father whom he's speaking to, they had different roles to play in this mission, mm -hmm. but they were united in their purpose, in the mission that they had. Mm -hmm. And so he, he goes on to, to deliver to us the same mission to reveal God to the world, and I, I think it's beautiful because when he talks about being one in verse 21, the verse that we read right at the beginning, mm -hmm. that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The unity that we're supposed to exhibit is the type of unity that God 
the Once Father, that oh. God the Father and Jesus have. Oh, yes, yes. Where they're united in mission in what they're trying to accomplish, even though they have different roles and they play different part in the plan. Mm. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that I'm identical to you, but it means that we are one in our mission and in our purpose. So we, we're, in a, we're in a society where everything has to be uniform. There wants to be no differences. We we're in a, in a society where there's no gender. There's no any, any hierarchy. It's, it's, everything's got to be equal and, and just the same, 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 same. But you're saying here that you can be totally different, equal, yet in complementary one to each other. Right, same, right, same, right. But different. Same, same, yeah. but different. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know, in, in Siku's thought, you know, one of the beauty, the beautiful things about what she's, she's bringing out there from the text is the fact that it leads immediately to the practicality of who are the men that God has given me out of the world. So here's Jesus, like he gave me 12 men out of the world. But now it has, I have to reflect as a person who knows God and I'm like, this is eternal life. Like, I know him, and I know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Now, Sebastian, who are the men, who are the people that God is giving you out of the world, and have you manifested God to them, mm -hmm. right? Have you actually manifested his name to them, who he's given? And he says he acknowledges that they were yours. In verse 6, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they have known, in verse 7, that all things which you have given me are from you. So it's not even that I manifest it to them and I'm like, hey, guys, let me show you who God is. But he says, and I, I did it in such a way that they knew that what I was giving to them actually came from God himself. Mm -hmm. So that, that joint role difference of like, even though Jesus is the guy on the front lines, he still brings it back to the disciples to say, but this all came actually from the Father. Yeah. And he doesn't just take it to himself and keep that attention on himself. Mm -hmm. I do want to bring our topic is unity. And we've not talked about unity directly. Oh, we have. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Correctly, yeah. There's bring a it home. Bring yeah, it home. Speak for yourself. Right. Speak for yourself. I thought we have been, but... All right. Uh, Amen. All right. We have. We have. Okay. All right. We have. Not with you, Israel. Yeah. Um, there's something that Sigu said that, to me, directly uh, speaks about unity, is unity is a result of, of mission being accomplished rather than something that we strive for. Mm. And, you know, so too many times we tried, hey, let's unify ourselves. Let's force unity. But here, the unity that exists between God the Father and Jesus Christ is found in the execution of the mission. Mm -hmm. When mission is executed properly, unity is a result. And then the second thing that kind of comes out is that unity can exist in the midst of sin. You know, so Jesus is saying, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of hardship, that you take them out, that you create a perfect unity bubble that is, that is uh, free from things that oppose unity. I'm mm. not praying that you take them out of that. I'm actually praying that in, in that context, of it. Yeah. Yeah, they, have, they have the unity through the fulfillment of the mission. And so unity doesn't come by striving for it, it comes as a result of mission being accomplished. And second of all, unity exists and can exist in the midst of a sinful world. Mm -hmm. So that's my two, my two cents. <laughs> my right. two cents on that. Right. Yeah. Five we, cents. We are um, in the midst of a, I mean, this, this is very profound for me. But I, I thought Jesus was praying for us that we'd be united in a, in a, in a unity bubble. You know, but you're saying that here, I mean, Jesus said it. Like, I, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. We're, we're, we're in the world. But mm -hmm. I guess the prayer is not to be of the world. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Yeah. I don't know about you, but this has been a very profound study on not just earthly relations and earthly things, but heavenly things through the prayer of Jesus. And my natural reaction is I want to be surrendered and opened uh, to the effects of Jesus' prayer to flow through me and to every relationship that I have. And that's a, that's a very, I'm in I'm a, I'm a need of this prayer 
and I'm, I'm glad that Jesus is praying for me. Hopefully for you too, hopefully for the panelists here. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next week here in Interverse.